Bargo, Langdon. No chance that's going through. Unbelievable. Rivers will stick to the task. Mitchell shrugging. Sell the dummy. No, no. They might still get it. They will. Will it be touched? Looking at this angle, we can see the ball was touched by the right arm of the Hello and welcome to Attention to Detail, the podcast for D's fans, by D's fans, as we hold on for dear life aboard the roller coaster ride that is barracking for the Melbourne Football Club. This episode is proudly brought to you by our fantastic sponsor, Hop and Brewing in Lilydale. Simo, we are back, baby. We've had a week off. Everyone's now a little bit more healthier. It's a 4 0 pod. We've skipped, well, yeah, unfortunately, weren't able to get a recording out last week. Uh, yeah, picked up a bit of a nasty gastro bug after a wedding, which I know sounds sus. It's uh, you can imagine going to work the next day and and uh, going for a couple of hours and looking real crook and saying, "Oh, look, I picked up a, a gastro bug at a wedding and not looking hungover as shit." But that <laughs> absolutely wasn't the case. So it was pretty pretty rough there, which which uh, unfortunately, yeah, took took a few days to recover. But we're back. And uh, how are you going, mate? With school holidays, where it's time to sit, sit back and relax, and yeah, talk footy. How are you doing? Oh, mate, it's unreal the fact that school holidays are coming. I think uh, all teachers and all students, I think, we're ready to go for that. And, and parents, yeah, it's good. Yeah, my parents. <laughs> um, just really good to to sit back and just you know just lay back and get things done around the house, and yeah, really get um sink my teeth into some footy and. My footy in general as well. It's um, an undefeated uh, run as well. And we're the only team uh, that hasn't lost. And my team hasn't lost. So footy's going pretty well for me in my life. So, yeah, can't really complain, mate. How's the game on the weekend? So round one for you? Round one, the boys, uh, we went up and first uh, officer, new side um, in our competition. We... uh, Got the chocolates by 11 points, but I'll tell you what, mate, to kick eight goals, nine to zero points in the third quarter. So that's a 57-point swing. And to win the game by 11, you can tell that uh, that quarter was definitely the premiership quarter. Should you have kicked more, like as in eight goals, nine? How many of how many of those nine behinds were probably gettable? Oh, at least six of them. Were you on the uh, on the end of any of those? No, I wasn't. So I was just watching them go through the points, and I was like, "Well, I just have to keep getting the footy back so yeah. we have more opportunities." But um, that was really good, and um, more importantly, mate, the uh, the D's four yeah. and on your side haven't lost. We, you know, I feel like we're still in second gear, mate. I, I I think we can definitely improve the way we're playing. I think um, you look at Essen, the Essen game round three, and also the game just going round four against the Power. Just haven't really seemed like we're, you know, kicking straight. I just don't don't think we're definitely hitting our straps yet. But I think, you know, the times the season will come. You know, if we're hitting our peak right at the end of the season, you know, if this is if this is we're, we're still finding ways to win. I mean, obviously defensively we're amazing against Port and you know Essendon at times as well. But if we can really start getting that game rolling, I think you know we're going to be pretty hard to beat, mate. It's yeah, it's a long season, and I think you pretty much nailed the point there that you're just finding ways to win two very different games. I think, and you talked about the the defensive uh, prowess that the D's sort of play with on Thursday night, and, and what I've said to you, I think that's the, one of the best defensive games I've ever seen uh, Demons play before. I just had an absolute stranglehold on Port, but yeah, the Essendon game as well too definitely had its ups and downs in terms of momentum swings, and they were pretty dangerous sides. So obviously we missed uh, 
doing last week with the episode. So uh, apologies again to all our listeners there, but we thought we'd just give a bit of a recap so if we can cast our mind back to the start of round three. And you were obviously there on the night, mate. So Friday night footy. How was the atmosphere there? Like we had a semi-decent crowd there, but I'm, I imagine that would have been heavily weighted in the Demon supporters percentage, do you think? Oh, I'd, I'd have to say, yeah, probably slightly for us, maybe 60-40 split or, yeah, pretty close to 50-50. Uh, um, I think the biggest thing with the atmosphere, I don't know, I, I'm a little bit PO'd actually, mate, because you look at our crowd, we've got 44,000 to a Friday night. I mean, we've been crying out as supporters for, you know, these type of games. And then to see a, a Hawthorne-Carlton game on a Sunday at one ten to get 66,000, I thought mm-hmm. that was a bit... You know, a bit, you know, a bit dismal. I feel like we could, you know, do that a little bit more to, you know, really back the boys. But still, forty-four thousand. I mean, you know, we're still rocking. We still uh, love getting stuck into those Essendon supporters. I tell you what, some of those are feral, mate. They are <laughs> real interesting supporters um, to sit around, especially those that were near the cheer squad. I tell you what, and I, I don't know how many times you go on the footy and you hear like the kind of like those soccer chants behind the goals. Yeah, I hate that with a passion. Yeah. I, I just. Oh, it just it just grinds my gears, but it also gives me that little bit of oomph when we kick a goal. I'm like, yeah, that's all right. They'll be shutting them up. I think <laughs> that's, that's yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, just it just reminded me too when we played Geelong in 2018 at the G, the um the, the elimination final one, <laughs> and partner's dad stood up because they're like Geelong, Geelong when they kick the goal. <laughs> he turns around to him and goes, Geelong, fuck off. And it was unreal. <laughs> So so funny, but like yeah, just that sort of moment. Like it just, yeah. Oh, just yeah, it makes you want to win that little bit more and really really back them in support. But obviously, you get a little bit fired up in the moment. Some no, people I, get a bit testy, but rude not to, rude not oh, to. Oh, you rude not to. But yeah, oh, hundred percent. But then yeah, when we so, uh, when we're rocking at the gym, we're doing the damage. Then, oh, yeah, that's right. It's been tell you what, interesting couple of weeks for Christian Petrarca, who's now sort of been, you'd say. Well held, targeted. I think, for a couple of weeks and certainly targeted and it's been made pretty clear in the media and in the commentary around it. We saw probably two sides to that in these two games and the Essendon game, mm-hmm. you sort of see tag Petrarca and we let our other superstar midfielder in Clayton Oliver off the leash. He was just absolutely outstanding, I thought, on the Friday night. He had 38 disposals and 18 of those were contested. He just, right from the first bounce, he like just looked determined to win the ball and you sort of knew that with um, oh, who was it that was uh, tagging? I think um, are you t- telling so who who yeah, targeted who was, one of the midfielders? Targeted um, it was Trump. Andy McGrath. Yeah, Andy oh, McGrath of course. Was yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> very much well uh, spoken about. But yeah, did did a pretty good job in it as well. too. although Track was able to work through it and still have a pretty good influence on the game as well. Only kicked in the third, mate. Momentum shifted. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm you know, really. and that's just the caliber of, of player that he is. He's, it's something he's going to have to work through and something he's going to have to learn to deal with. And I think other teams now sort of seeing that his influence has probably been quelled a little bit by sending a hard tag to him. It's He's going to find different ways and means to impact the game. So, but getting back to Clary, I thought, as I said, from the first bounce and just being involved in all areas of the game, especially having the nine score involvements as well too. You just you love it when he wins the footy and just wants to really push the pace of the ball all the time. Like he's always looking to get on the front foot and launch the, launch the ball inside 50 and we know what he's like around the contest. But I just thought easily his best game of the season after probably what was a, a reasonably quiet first couple of rounds of the game. What did you make of it, mate? I think, well, Essendon have really let midfielders get off the leash and I think he sort of took that as an advantage. I think 
obviously when one one's getting tagged, the other one can just really stomp you down. So having that having that to have um, really poses a question. You know, can can sides tag us or they go completely head to head? So yeah, if one's down, then the other one gets complete you know free reign, which was awesome to see. I really want to talk about Gus. You know, originally part of the Wingers Club. He is one player who I think is really molded into a new role, which he did perfectly last year as a winger. Now he's now moved back to halfback in, in that kind of Salem role, sort of the anchor, um, intercepting, also, you know, setting us up off the back line. Because obviously you can use his, his skills are quite strong. But to have 20 marks, obviously he was just being in the right spots. And, you know, do you think he's the new Salo? What happens when Salo comes back, you know? Interesting. I thought, yeah, he was something yeah. that I really, 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 really liked when he got this uh, this game going. It'll be, yeah, I th- and I think also seeing this week with James Jordan kind of flourishing in that wing role as well mm. now, like, you know, those positions have sort of shifted and Brayshaw has just been outstanding in both of the games in the last two rounds. He's, yeah, it'd be hard to see things change. Obviously, Salo is such a talented player and, and so used to being back there and, and work so well with that, you know, the back six down there has great chemistry. But Gus is just almost outplaying his role down there in the sense of, like, we know that his ball use, he's, he's certainly probably our best field kick down there as well. And just his IQ and his decision-making, uh, his ability to be able to get back and take marks with the, you know, with the, against the flight of the ball. And it's, yeah, it's been uh, extremely pleasing to watch, but it does, it does spell another conundrum. One of these selection things that we have a couple of at the moment. But he's just playing, yeah, inspired footy and ramps up a little bit about his free agent talk. And, and mm. yeah, I, I, I'm not worried about him I, in terms of I don't think he, he would want to leave. Yeah. I don't think, I know Geordie Lewis penned an article the other day about sort of being careful for what you wish for in terms of if he wanted to move elsewhere to get solid midfield minutes. But to be in such a successful side at the moment and really flourishing in his current role... He's getting plenty of the footy back there. Like, if mm-hmm. that's, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that that's where his head's at at the moment. And and really, what would happen to the Gus and Gordon podcast? Like, that would be that would be completely shot if it gone as well. But no, nah, he's he's amazing. I think what was it the most marks since Nick Rewalt in what early 2010s? I think Rewalt had like 24, 23. There was a stat most marks for about uh, almost 10 years in that sense. So no. Nah, Fantastic game by him, and it's really carried on from the grand final, I think, too. You think back to his performance then, it's he, he hasn't taken a step backward at all. So, no, his game was fantastic. Bit of news that happened on, on that day, or a late change with Ben Brown going out due to uh, health and safety protocols and being a close contact. Didn't have COVID himself, but that allowed Sam Wiedemann to come into the side, and I mean, how much have we spoken about him in the last couple of weeks, even just pre-season and, and hoping that he, he would get that opportunity, re-signing at the end of last year for a couple of years and, and hoping that he can try and squeeze his way into this side. And boy, did he take that opportunity with two hands and, and kick a career best, four goals, three, and probably should have kicked five or so. But really, you know, setting him up for the first goal, he just looked out of the gates in that first quarter, took three marks inside 50 uh, and yeah, looked looked really good. I thought he um, competed at the ball really well, and was, you know, one knock that we've probably had of him in the past is probably not holding on to marks. You know, he's great at crashing packs and bringing the ball to ground, but he was actually sticking him. And I thought, yeah, he played an outstanding role. Yeah, he kind of looked like a man on the mission. I think, uh, obviously, 
you know, solid form in the twos across, you know, all the time last year and just waiting for that opportunity. And obviously Benny Brown going out with health and safety protocols, you know, it's given him that opportunity, which I think he did take with two hands last week. And then we'll talk about it a little bit later on um, about the Port game because obviously wasn't able to hit the scoreboard in that. But yeah, definitely four goals, three. I think that set shot he had in the last quarter. Was it last quarter or third quarter? We kicked it from the boundary. boundary. I think it was the third oh, Amazing. Quarter. Amazing. Goal. Unreal. I think, yeah. yeah, that's just sort of, yeah, a, a lot of fans, especially as a cheer squad and where I was at, um, yeah, we're really pumped to see that. And I think he's one of those players that we obviously in 2018, we're like, great, this guy's going to absolutely explode. Then obviously with what's happened, in, you know, in the last couple of years, obviously hasn't been able to string some solid footy together and you know, the inclusion of Ben Brown and, you know, T-Mac reforming, you know, it's, it poses a question, you know, where, is Wiedemann in our best 22? You know, obviously he's, He's a great sort of backup to, you know, T-Mac, Jackson, and also Ben Brown. But, you know, can he hold a spot? Can can he edge these other guys out? But obviously, you know, having him there is keeping our other players accountable, which is really, really good to see. Personally, well, Ben Brown didn't play a great game on the weekend in the two, so you never know what could happen. But, you yeah. know, I think Ben Brown's one of those players that probably, you know, especially probably back in the last year, I think, probably plays better in the AFL side compared to the VFL yeah, side. So that's true. And I yes, think all, yeah, the realistic opportunity for him is not to push Ben Brown out of the side. It's probably more to push Tom McDonald out of the side. And it probably depends on how T-Mac's playing. And we know how versatile he is as a player. And we've had to throw him back and we've had injuries down there to fill gaps down there. I don't think that's past Wiedemann to potentially play that role as well too. Like if he was asked, if he was required to go back and, and pinch hit, you know, down down back for a bit or, you know, like he, he can pinch hit in the ruck as well too. I think that he's got a better chance of pushing T-Mac out of the side. If T-Mac's relatively quiet, and look, he's been he's been all right. He's, he's done a few nice things over the last few rounds, but I wouldn't say he's been outstanding. And I think he's got a better opportunity to try and make his case for T-Mac's spot than he does Ben Brown's spot. I think at this stage, injuries, you know, ensuring that we don't have any injuries or anything like that. But I think that's probably the more likely scenario for weeds. But no, it was great to see in there. Uh, just a couple of other things uh, from that game. I thought Ed Langdon's been had an absolute ripper start to the season. I thought he played a terrific game and he capped it off with what has to be the goal of the year. Like how on earth, you know, know it defied all, all physics of how that went in and no, he could never, ever do that again. But yeah, what a goal from the boundary line there. Like, I don't know, when you're there, like well, depending where, where big, were you in, in regards goal. to that goal? Opposite side, so that yeah. happened in the fourth quarter. But yeah. compl- the opposite side of the ground, we it, I reckon it took three, four, five seconds to for us to it. react from the other side <laughs> and realise like what the hell just happened. Yeah, because we weren't sure. I, I kind of thought he was centering the ball. I, I didn't think he was actually going for the for the goal. I was yeah. actually, I was like, hang on a second. And then there was a couple of seconds, or you know, four or five seconds to pause. And then all of a sudden, we all just went up and down. <laughs> His face is just... Ed Langdon kicked that goal. Yeah. Because, you know, Ed Langdon, I mean, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but like he obviously he plays his role. The, like he's definitely the best winger in the competition. I'm going to put it out there because... Yeah, 100%. Pure winger that holds his holds his width and also doesn't stop running for that. He, I don't know, he's, oh, his ball use, uh, it can be iffy at times, I think, but obviously... Every time you reckon you're he's kicked saying, it out in the full running on the wing. Oh like my after, God. after 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 completing like a 30, 40 meter sprint and he goes to pump it inside 50 or like off from defensive 50. He's, he's <laughs> good for, he's the wrong good for two or three a game, I reckon. Yeah, yeah he is. But, um, That's right. Oh, you you got to love him because, I mean, obviously 
you know, if we can hold the width out there, you know, there could be games where he only has, you know, 15, 16 touches, but then there's games where he has 30. And then, you know, if teams are going to put some time into him, we're going to have more space across, you know, going through the guts, et cetera. So. And I thought one of the one of the amazing passages of play as well that kind of epitomizes probably the Ds and, and at a point of the game where, yeah, where Essendon was sort of really coming and threatening to take the game away, the very end of that third quarter where we had Brayshaw, Hunt and Langdon running back and competing for the ball and, and then being able to absorb all that pressure in, in order not to concede a goal right at the end of the third quarter. And then I think Langdon it was ended up winning a free kick. About I just thought that was, yeah, it kind of epitomizes how Melbourne play and, and it kind of it de- certainly carried over into the poor game. We'll talk about that a little bit later about the defensive efforts and just watching people being relentless and celebrating those little, little moments where they're getting back and making just a deflection or something like that. But I thought that was really pivotal as well too because it, it did stem the flow of momentum where Essendon were really pushing... And we'll talk about a couple of things that probably we didn't love so much about the game. Obviously, the goal kicking early on was pretty disappointing. Now, you were there. It seemed, and talking about in the commentary, it's pretty blustery, pretty swirly down there. And you can see like players didn't know where to start the ball when they were lining up for set shot. Because I think that first quarter, we probably could have really blown away if we kicked probably two or three more. Uh, certainly had gettable shots there. Let's compare the first quarter against Essendon to the whole game of Port Adelaide. I think... This it was just scrappy. Uh, I don't know. There was just it was just a bit of a lull. I think it was probably one of the worst halves of football I've seen. <laughs> I think you know it probably dates. I mean, obviously we were able to win, but defensively good, but offensively in you know look at the poor game and then also that first half it was just sluggish. It was just turnover city. It was just ugh. but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it actually didn't seem too windy. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. It was just. It was just. Just poor skill execution. I think, you know, we we're just lucky that we we're very solid defensively to um <laughs> to try and nullify. Yeah. But um, well, yeah, well, three goals mm. five in that first quarter. Well, we easily probably could have had five, six of them. Like Weeds, obviously first shot sailed away as well too. And then he backed it up straight away with a goal after that. But I know Harms had a set shot that kind of really sort of swayed away from left to right. And they, they did show, you know, the flags. There seemed to be a bit of movement down there and boundary. Andrew Ryder was saying there's a bit of wind, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of been one of those things that's crept in early this season, I think, goal kicking, set shots, uh, but early days yet, so that's all right. We've got plenty of time to work on that. A couple of times where, yeah, some of Essendon's big players, like it was a momentum game in sorts because we didn't get to capitalize early on on the scoreboard. Like we seemed well on top of it, but then Essendon worked their way back into the game and Peter Wright, Jake Stringer almost took the took the game on their backs and really threatened to, uh, yeah, take it away from the Ds, even, you know, pushing in front in that third quarter there. But, yeah, so Essendon ended up scoring 34 points from centre clearances and, yeah, normally ranked last in the competition. So a little bit concerning there. We've talked about how sometimes when the other teams are getting on a roll and the momentum's going and, and they're scoring quickly from centre clearance and this was a game where Ds were able to get up on top of clearance, I think, towards the end. But, yeah, it's still a little bit concerning there where Jake Stringer popped up for a couple of goals and what was otherwise a pretty quiet game for him as well too. So, it's uh, yeah, what were you thinking then? Like, were you nervous, when, especially when Peter Wright really sort of looked uh, really dangerous and kicked a couple of goals and probably could have kicked three as well too uh, in that third quarter? He, uh, yeah, popped up. And, and look, he's, he's producing a really nice season for him and, and, yeah, good for him. But, yeah... Pretty dangerous two-meter Peter down there. Sticky mitts. Um, yeah, two-meter Peter was, yeah, threatening to take the game away. I feel like, well, you know, the center clearances really were killing us, I think. 
Yeah, it makes it hard for defenders when the ball's zipping through super quick. And obviously, you know, in, in all games that we've played this year, there's been that, you know, small snippet where, you know, all the Bulldogs kicked eight in a row. I mean, I think the Gold Coast might have kicked four or five in a row. Then you've got the Don done four or five again as well. So they were able to to really, you know, zip the ball inside 50. And I think that's when Stephen May sort of, he kind of zones off, but then kind of allows for those forwards to go for that run ball as opposed to a set play. Obviously, Stevie Mays, you know, set up in a better position and gets more body. But allowing the forwards to go up for a mark obviously makes it a bit tough. I look at Stephen Mays' game, you know, across those three games. I mean, he was a – Levi Caswell kicked a couple against him. Um, Ray, uh, what's it called? Norton four, uh, Peter Wright four. You know, but then I look at this weekend at Scorn, which we'll touch on really quickly, um, having his best mate back there. Um, changes the dynamics a little bit. And even if your team is getting those center clearances, we allow to set up for that. Well, Mays are already putting together a really impressive start to the season. But anyway, Essendon game was done. Ended up winning by 29 points pretty comfortably in the end. And yeah, continued on with their misery, which is, uh, yeah, we've got no sympathy for them whatsoever. Essendon, you talked about history, dating back to 2000. But we thought we'd just keep going uh, with a couple of Fugazi comments for round three against Essendon before we hit up round four. So the first one we've got here is from Dave Nearins, who said, I find it telling that even when Petrarca has a bad night by his standards, he's probably still in our top five for the game. And yeah, I suppose that kind of echoes what we were talking about before. And, and he's still finding ways to influence the game. And it's something that he's going to continue to work on and, and, and going to have to continue to find different ways, whether that's pushing deep forward. And he's done that in past seasons when it's happened as well too. So yeah, as you mentioned, that that goal in the third quarter, huge momentum shift when when we really needed a score. And yeah, he's going to continue to probably define people. going to take him pretty hard given the last couple of rounds. 100%. The next one comes from Michael Hill. Now, Michael Hill's sent this in a four-parter. So, um, <laughs> I, I include it all because it's almost it makes... Like a perfect, it, it is makes, almost like yeah. the perfect sort of... Yeah. It's, it's a awesome really good summer, here. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So we'll go through it. So for Michael Hill, the first one, if track doesn't get you, Clary will. Track cops a hard tag, still manages 21 touches and a trademark bong from 50-plus. And while the Bombers' focus was to tag him, Clary had a massive night and his attack on the footy in congestion was unstoppable. Multiple repeated efforts to exact extract the footy was a highlight. I love that. And, yeah, like we touched on before, you know, if one doesn't get you, the other one will. Um, hopefully that can that trend does continue for the year. Yeah. Next part from uh, Hilly's post was, Gus Brayshaw had already started the season strong off the half-back line, going there to cover the absence of Salem. The Salem ball use by foot is always missed. But Gus's use of the footy has allowed his absence to be felt less. And I think we've seen that more and more, even these last couple of rounds, mm-hmm. as he's gained a little bit more chemistry back there. Barely a wasted possession amongst his 34 and the highest since 2019, 20 marks. And his courage to go back no matter what might be coming is amazing. And yeah, and I think that's a really, a really massive point. Given his history of concussions and he's still willing to do put his body on the line and do whatever it takes to you know to win a contest or to win the ball and we know that from <laughs> that pivotal moment in the grand final as well too so that, that pretty much uh, defines what Gus's footy is like and and yeah I think I don't think we're going to see him move from that back position anytime soon I don't think. Completely agree. The next one is Weed four three as a late inclusion was magnificent. He knows better than any that every opportunity he gets has to be uh, has to make the most of it. With Brown now being locked in, to come in so late and perform as he did was fantastic. As we touched on before, um, massive wraps on Weeds. Um, obviously, 
kicked 4-3. It was good to see him sort of hitting those packs and also taking those marks inside 50 to create scoring opportunities. All right, Simo, on to round four. Our game on Thursday night against Port Adelaide at what? Melbourne's almost second home at the Adelaide Oval. And yeah, one in very convincing fashion and what was a real stranglehold defensively on Port Adelaide, holding him to only the four goals for the match and really three goals for, uh, sorry, one goal for the majority of three quarters, which is pretty amazing. Some might have said ugly footy. It's been interesting to see some fans' reactions to the game, but it was yeah, pretty impressive from a defensive point of view. And, yeah, we lots of things to love about it, lots of things that we could probably talk about that we can work on. We're going to cover that next in our very first segment for this round. And credit to the boys. Back into the game, so um, it's real credit to the boys. Um, I think it was on uh, all of us to step up and, and you know, really lead from the front, and I thought we did that all day. So We want to play our way. Just go after the boys. All right, mate. Well, I think I mentioned it first. Defensively, one of the best outshowings I've ever seen uh, a team put on another team. I just thought that Port Adelaide looked absolutely frazzled, and nothing that they could do uh, was yeah was going to be effective in getting past our zone. We just made them always second guess themselves in terms of where they were kicking the ball, and they just played it right into our hands. It would have been probably pretty ugly as a uh, as a neutral supporter to watch, but holding them to zero goals at half time and it's interesting hearing Lever after the game that apparently Goody put it to him to say doesn't want him to uh, score for the rest of the game which obviously didn't happen but yeah <laughs> interesting challenge for that but I just think that you know Port looked early to switch the ball and try and open up space on the fat side of the ground but we were just too well defensively set up after half time they tried to sort of use the ball a little bit, using the corridor a little bit, but the amount of intercepts that our tall midfielders and our ruckmen were able to get in the middle of the ground uh, was, yeah, it just proved that we had a complete stranglehold on them and they really struggled to do anything. Bearing in mind that they didn't have a huge focal point moving forward, uh, you know, no Charlie Dixon at the moment, Mitch Georgiades, who's, who's played well against us in the past, but they didn't really have much of a full line as well too. But it just proved that, yeah, our premiership defence is uh, is in great stead. I think the biggest thing with this, mate, is having Rick Lever back. You know, obviously been absent for the first three rounds, battling that plan of flasher. And to have him back, I think, you know, only can only strengthen our back line. Obviously, his leadership is second to none, I think. And that's why he's been so pivotal, especially last year with our premiership and also, yeah, being making players accountable. I think being able to have that strong vocal point, you can even hear him when you're at the game as well, being, you know, being able to set us up um, and especially make things hard for, you know, the other team to score is, you know, it, it's something that, you know, needs to be there. And I think, it, you know, if you, don't, if you don't have that, then, you know, who's going to be able to say, you know, and to get things set up and to really strangle hold a team and for us to keep a team pretty much goalless for three quarters it's you can you can see his presence there and it also you know as i spoke about um about the Essendon game and also the first three rounds of um Stephen may having probably 10 goals kicked on him um across those three rounds just because he didn't have this pic in that side and obviously you know probably personnel from port adelaide as well and probably a little bit inexperienced to allow Stephen may to do such a such a huge work on them um as opposed to leave it just you know just being that spoil player and you know obviously he didn't get much of the footy but you know good to see him back in the side and really shoring us up down there there's that one point where you could tell this is his first game back because he's uh <laughs> his head head mm. over his knees and yeah on his haunches and yeah taking some uh 
Big gasp for there. So, no, great to have him back, as you mentioned. And his voice was pretty raspy in that post-game interview, which is good, and giving his, giving it plenty of work out, which is great. But it's one of those things that that back six has been constantly changing even in the first four rounds. So, still a stellar effort for them to continue uh, to do what they do and to have those players slot in seamlessly and be able to deliver the system that we've built. So, our foundations on and being able to keep a team like Port Adelaide, who really fancied as top four this season and, and missing, we mentioned before, missing key personnel. I think, you know, Lear is not playing as well. Ollie Wines has subbed Gray. out half time. Robbie Gray didn't play as well too. So certainly missing some players, but yeah, they're in a bit of strife at zero and four. And I think Hinkley would probably be feeling the heat a little bit there, but talk about Maisie. I thought he still played a fantastic game, uh, seven intercept marks and, I just think, yeah, had a couple of massive bone-crunching tackles, especially one against Power Pepper, which you know is an absolute grub, and I love seeing him <laughs> uh, rub his face in the dirt and sort of let him know about it too. So, no, I thought absolutely stellar. Just some amazing efforts from a whole team. Like, we talk about the back six, but it was just some absolute gut-running efforts from some of our midfielders to get back and make a deflection, a spoil. And I think it's all summed up where Georgie Artis was running in from 50-odd and we managed oh to God. absolutely balls Cue up that Hills. opportunity. Like, that <laughs> was... Oh, like, as much as that's a stuff up by them, I just... Like, you think about the effort, and they highlighted this on the commentary, but, like, for James Jordan to run from half-forward to then almost get his hands on that smother because I think Jaden Hunt was the one that ended up getting that first smother. That then uh, Jordan then getting the touch on, I can't remember who it was that kicked it. Was it Mays, I think? Because uh, they kept talking about Mays on May um, that whole night. But for them, yeah, I think from a defensive point of view, it was super impressive. Like, yeah, you can laugh at it. And I think 7AFL posted a, you know, a lull post on Instagram with the whole sequence. But I think it's extremely impressive from a Melbourne point of view. And they'll be showing that this, you know, Monday morning in the match review and being lauding about, like, this is what we stand for, this is what we play for. And I think some of those played, you know, James Harms, Jimmy Jordan, Jaden Hunt, some of those just, yeah, little 1% plays that the team are really getting around. I think you sort of saw that as a collective on Thursday. And whilst struggled to probably get a decent score on the scoreboard, didn't need to. And I think mm. they know that defence comes first and it's really clear and that's the way they were playing. Very different game to Essendon, but you know what? If uh, teams can't score against us, then, yeah, we're going to go a long way this season and being able to find different ways to win. What's that old basketball saying? De- defense wins championships? Yeah. <laughs> let's, um, the best let's, offense let's go is defense. That's exactly right. Just want to marvel um, Maxi Gorn's return to form. Obviously, the first two, uh, first three rounds, kind of, sorry, yeah, first three rounds, you're sort of, you know, petering around, you know, he's doing little bits and pieces, you know, probably giving Jackson that little bit more time to flourish in there. But I tell you what, he took this game by the scruff of the neck. Minus, obviously, a little bit of an interesting kick over the shoulder, which obviously <laughs> went the other way around, other way. So, but minus that, I mean, he was able to have 25 touches and 12 marks. Just, I mean, that's just only a couple of his stats, but uh, yeah, his presence was huge. And not only Maxi Gorn, but also with um, with Jacko as well. Those two absolutely slaughtered Port Adelaide in the ruck and also around the ground. I think just more so that height just, yeah, really posed a huge problem for Port. Max's ability, again, I mean, it's it's, it's second nature to us fans. We, we know what to expect with him. And maybe that's why, you know, you sort of mentioned that maybe those first three rounds are a little bit quieter, but like it's just doing those things that he normally does. And, we probably just get too accustomed to getting used to seeing him do that. But I think watching him, you know, we talk about like the 
had seven inside 50, so making sure, you know, pushing the ball inside 50, kicked a goal, but also had the seven, six intercepts as well too, which, you know, we, we know that's 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 custom of him, floating forward and back mm-hmm. and uh, winning the four free kicks. And even though he was very, like, the umpiring, we'll talk about later because that was atrocious, but um, his mm-hmm. ability to be able to, yeah, had a couple of great intercepts in the middle as well too. And we talked about when Port tried to be a little bit clever with the ball and moving it through the corridor and chipping it over, but he was able to deflect a couple of those. And, yeah, just all around amazing game from him and, yeah, really leading by example. And Jackson, as you mentioned, as well too. Now starting to see him float back, take a couple of intercept marks in the defensive 50, which is just, you know, we're watching these two becoming the, the most, you know, the most dynamic ruck duo of the competition. And yeah, we're watching Jackson uh, inch and inch closer to be that million dollar player that the media is, is definitely summing him up to be. And super happy to see to see these two just do what they need to do because Maxi can, as you mentioned, change that ratio of, of how much he's in the ruck. He's becoming a pretty, uh, pretty dominant forward threat now. And we know that his run around from 50 metres to launch that bomb as well too has become a bit of a trademark of his as well too. So being able to damage the game all over the ground is just becoming, well, it's not becoming, we're already used to it. He's, uh, he's not slowing down, that's for sure. That's exactly right. And you, we talk about role players too. I mean, just doing the one percenters, you look at Harms and Jordan um, racking up, you know, mid-20s disposals just... You know, stepping up, I suppose, when, you know, your Clary and your tracks are a little bit down. I, I don't, can't recall when the last game Clary had under 20 touches in a game. Yeah. I think Will and Drew sort of kind of bounced off the two and sort of really nullified their influence. Yeah, I thought Harms and Jordan were really, really strong um, and pivotal in terms of, you know, that surge footy and also, you know, giving us a chance to, to kick a winning score. Yeah, yeah. I, on a night where, as you mentioned, Clary, Clary down, Track held for the second week in a row in, in yeah in a pretty hard tag, but having those players come come through. Jordan now flourishing again in that wing role as as well, and and really having that defensive mindset and his run as well too. I think sort of highlighted before about his ability to be able to yeah cover the ground, but he's somebody who's gone from being the sub in the grand final to now really I think cementing his spot in the team, especially with Gus where he is now. He certainly molded his way into that winger, and, and I know Goody's talked about it as well too. But uh, you know, talk about Ed Langdon as well too, because I think that his start and his last couple of games have been outstanding. Best winger in the competition, 100%, hitting the scoreboard, which is just an absolute bonus. But also with Langdon, you know, he got the 26 touches, his eight intercepts. Port's skill level was pretty poor on the weekend, and that that caused we caused a lot of turnovers there. But to see, we know what Langdon's gut running is like. We know that he's an endurance runner. He clocked 15.2 k's for the game, which is a game high. He had 25 sprints, which is a game high, and and he actually got a rest for the first time this season. He came off the ground. Crazy. 93% game time. I think you sent me a message earlier in the week that I think Tomo and Langdon, their time, their games that they played, they had not come off the ground and. We know that, you know, Langdon's generally playing on the far side. So, and, and Gus always sort Not of mentions bench. that. In, <laughs> Gus always mentions that in his uh, in his post game interviews or on the podcast. But no, I thought we had some players really stand up, and I thought Tom Sparrow also played really well as well too. Like, it certainly yeah, had areas yeah, of his game. Sorry, mm-hmm. he's definitely starting to cement his role. I think the confidence is definitely there for Sparrow as well. Because obviously last year he was a sub a fair few, few times during the yeah. season, obviously. And then the final series, it was quite strong. But now we're starting to, starting to see more in centre bounces and really starting to use that real penetrating kick as well, which 
you know, I think he's going to be a real strong player for us um, moving forward. I want to really highlight Cozzy's pressure too. I think there was a, a passage on the wing. There might have been about four or five different efforts from, from Cozzy. Then we had the six tackles, but then also, as you've labelled here, 29 pressure acts, 20 the week before. So obviously, you know, he's not getting a huge amount of the footy, but his pressure and his presence is really, really impacting, um, especially defenders in the other side. And, you know, not not everything. I mean, we know Cozzy, I mean, you know, he's probably only a 10 to 15 disposal mark player, but, you know, his pressure is second to none um, as our small forwards. So, you know, we know if his, if his pressure's on, he's on. And, you know, he's just going to get rewarded his time is coming. I think there could be. Um, hopefully, he's going to be kicking a bag against the Giants in this week coming up. But yeah, we couldn't not have him in there. No, no, that's right. And we might have mentioned earlier. That I think you know a couple of weeks ago that he might have seemed a little bit quiet. But they interviewed him on Channel Seven after the game, and they sort of said, like, "What do you? How would you define your game? Like, what would you base it on?" And he sort of said, "Tackle pressure." And you can tell, like, his mentality isn't score first. It's not. All that sort of things comes after, and we could tell by the tackles that he laid. I think he absolutely put, I think it was Lockie Jones on his ass at one point. Like, there's just a couple of absolute ripper tackles. And then you mentioned the continuous efforts in that contest as well, too four or five efforts. But then also, there was a sequence on the wing where he won the footy and was able to find James Harms, I think, to hit him up for his second goal, might have been in that third quarter, I think. And yeah, just little moments like that where it justifies his place in the team. And, and whilst early on in his career, you know, is able to bob up and kick two or three exciting goals and, you know, or try and take mark of the year, like, I think that he knows what his role is. And, and if that's, if he's saying that, that tackle pressure and he's, you know, team high six tackles uh, this week and same as last week, even though he might not be getting a lot of the ball, he's certainly executing what the team is asking of him and, yeah, we wouldn't have it any other way. So I thought his game was uh, outstanding. Talk about probably not kicking a huge score, but you look at the possession count. The Ds were plus 24 uncontested possessions, but we were minus 74 uncontested, (laughs) which was just massive, like... Port had a lot of the ball, but they just weren't doing anything with it. And I think it was just mm. their indecisiveness and not knowing, not knowing where to go with the ball because they just kept turning it over. Um, yeah, the D's had 60 less marks, but we had 10 more contested marks, which just kind of shows like we're Strong so much more contest. efficient with the ball mm. and being able to move it forward, um, actually be damaging with it. So I thought that was a huge part as well. I think we got on top of the clearances by nine in the end as well too, which is good. And really... What was a pretty contested, well, a, a competitive first half? Like Port certainly matched with intensity. They they weren't playing badly, and mm. you know, we we kicked the first goal within the first minute and a half. Bailey Fritch, um, well, we kicked the first two goals really uh, mm. early in the second quarter. But obviously, it was a very low scoring first half. But then, oh, sorry, up until the midway through the second quarter. But then the D's really flicked the switch, and you could tell it was just building towards that. We were doing enough right things where we were causing turnovers. Our forward pressure was fantastic. You know, we were able to lock forward 50 and being able to, yeah, make them really think about where they're putting the ball. But then it just came that little flurry uh, where we were able to pile on sort of five goals in a row and, and yeah, head into halftime with a pretty impressive lead. So from that to go on and then, yeah, a really comfortable win in the end, I thought. Oh, look, it probably could have been a, certainly a, maybe a 10-goal win, and I know there'll be a few people out there that will probably lament the last five minutes, as we'll probably touch on a little bit later on. But, yeah, I think just our ability to find another way to win and, and not exercising everything that we absolutely need to right at this stage of the season. It's a marathon, you know, four games up, and we're just doing whatever it needs to be 
whatever needs to be done to win. So I'm not too concerned about that. Lots to like about the game, mate, but you know, a few things which we'll label on in our next segment. Pretty pissed off. Pretty, I'm pretty pissed. I'm pretty pissed off still. Um, it's not good enough. That's very unlike the way we've been playing, and something that we'll obviously review and get better at. Uh, yeah, it's not. That's not good enough today. Um, this team, this club's got to start winning games. You know, I think one thing which it's hard to say because you know Wiedemann had such a great game last week, and then going into this game. Not being able to hit the scoreboard. Look, has he has he missed his time? Has he has he put himself back in the VFL based on this performance, or does it you know does the faith stay there and give him another crack against the Giants coming up on Saturday night? What happens? Like, is it there's a, there's a constant there's a constant sort of thought you know in you know our selection there's there's a you know a selection drama. Like, I mean, obviously we're just going to roll with the punches. We can't choose every week. We we're sort of like yeah, what the hell? We roll with what. The selectors come with, but what do you think, mate? Does Weeds does Weeds lose his spot, or I think, has I he think, failed? Yeah, unfortunately, I think he does. I think he hasn't done enough to keep Ben Brown out of the team. And I think, as I mentioned yeah. earlier, I don't think it's Ben Brown's spot that he's probably competing with because I think that more like he can be damaging as a high half forward as well too. So I think that Ben Brown we use as that you know, deep full forward, you know, you know, giving him plenty of space inside fifty and letting him run at the ball. Whereas Weeds, I think, is probably more similar to T-Mac. And I don't think... I think T-Mac has done enough in the last two weeks to probably just keep his spot. But I mentioned, I think that he's the one that really probably is who Weeds needs to keep the pressure on, is Tom McDonald. Mm-hmm. And saying, I think that that's the more realistic opportunity for him. Disappointing him. Yeah, even though I think he won a free kick within the first couple of minutes and a nice load up, up the up the ground, he didn't really... Yeah, didn't really look like getting near it. Like... Bear in mind, like Cleary uh, played pretty well on him, and there was a few moments. Our forward fifty connection wasn't amazing uh, on a night that wasn't really for our forward line. Like you think about, Fritch sort of came up and kept it ticking over. Just the remainder of the goals didn't come from our normal forward line. You know, talking about Viney, Harms, all chipping in. You know, Gorn, Jackson, where it's not our, I suppose, you, yeah, our mainstay forwards. Is you know, it's not our Weeds or Brown or. Yeah, on a night where probably our forward line firing wasn't certainly, it wasn't at our best and it was a completely different way of how we're entering inside 50. We certainly um, threw away a few chances as well. I, yeah, I, I can't see him staying the side this week. As, as disappointing as that is for him, I don't think, I, I think Ben Brown walks straight back in for him at this stage. But then there's no reason why he can't push for selection and if T-Mac plays it safe over the next few weeks, you know, I don't I don't see any harm in giving Weeds a run in T-Max role at this stage of the season to give ourselves a bit of a look at what we could, what options we could then later deploy later down the track. Lucky if I uh, finish that later down the track. <laughs> um, let's let's talk about the last 10 minutes, mate. We obviously, yeah, holding holding Port pretty uh, pretty pretty well held across across the day, and for us to concede a couple of late ones, I mean to. That little grub, Stephen Motlop. <laughs> someone, another one that's sort Port of. Port Adelaide's uh, full of grubs, aren't they? <laughs> oh, they are. They are. But then again, like Motlop's one of those players that a couple of times has actually burnt me out of multi. So, no. But anyway, to see yeah, Motlop pick a couple of late ones. Um, yeah. It was. I think, I think the defense would have been a little bit PO'd, but 
Yeah. I mean, there's a few things you could label to say you're not quite happy with, but look, to be honest, at this point in the season, I'm just happy getting the four points. So, yeah, yeah little, little things that, look, I think it would be nice to shore them up against the best sides. And look, I, I'd still say, you know, Port Adelaide being a top four side over the last couple of years, you know, they are one of those sides that are up there. And I think to be able to keep them to four goals was amazing. But yeah, those last couple, I think they'd be pretty pissed off with, but I just hope it doesn't transfer into the first quarter against no, the Giants. I don't think so. Um, I think you're right. I think some of the back line would be pretty annoyed at those last few minutes because it probably, yeah, it would have been a good opportunity to get a couple more goals on, on the scoreboard and, and give ourselves like really a, trouble, a decent yeah. percentage booster as well too, where... <laughs> no, I stuffed this up with one of my posts where I, I said the scoreboard flattered. Well, I meant to say flattered Port Adelaide. I, I auto-corrected to flattened, uh, which yeah doesn't quite give off the same meaning, but it certainly did. But the like you look at the clear dominance that Melbourne had over Port Adelaide the game, and you look at it a thirty-two point victory, whereas the previous week win by twenty-nine wasn't as dominant over Essendon. So I think mm. yeah they'll look at a couple of those things in those last few minutes and and just sort of say yeah. Probably, probably not as uh, yeah. Wouldn't be as proud of if they went could do have that time again. That they'd probably do a couple of things a little bit differently. And last of all, uh, but but uh, before we get to that, before we get to the next point, I wasn't too concerned. Like I did sort of you know message me saying oh, I wasted opportunity. Like should be winning by ten goals, and I was taking the piss a bit, saying well it's down to forty five now. We should get worried. You know, there's like ten minutes left of the game. <laughs> I think we talked about how much more relaxed we are at D supporters now that we've won a flag or we can just be a little bit more confident in our system and our players mm-hmm. and I wasn't That's too phased. And I think we're still we're sitting on top 4 and 0 with a percentage of 140 still very healthy in that sense. So uh, we still got opportunities there we can continue to build on that. The last thing I want to touch on and we don't make it a habit of bagging the umpires but the umpiring was absolutely shit house. Now if you look at the, the free kick count. Ds are up by, I think, three or four by the end of the match. But the the range of free kicks that they were paying and like I can, countless occasions where Jack Viney, Max Gorn were absolutely manhandled, flogged, whatever it was down there, like couldn't free, get a free kick at all. Like there's one point where Lysette literally picks up Gorn and throws him in the ground in a ruck contest from a boundary throwing and nothing. Viney gets continually hammered in the back, knocked on the head, can't win a free kick and the deliberate out of bounds rule is fucking atrocious it is getting to an all point and it's not just the melbourne game because i was watching and i know you watched the well i don't know what time l turned off the blues gold coast game last night but there was one point where there was a spoil uh and i can't remember who it was who spoiled straight over the boundary line and even last night in that game they paid deliberate which was bullshit but there was one in the third fourth quarter where maxi's in the contest and he's thrown his boot out to move to push the ball forward like he's probably about 65 out trying to get the mm-hmm. ball into our forward 50 and clearly kicked off the side of his boot and they're paying deliver like this insufficient attempt the umpires have to have an idea of that if we're attacking there's no reason for us to want to get the ball to exactly. a stoppage we want to keep outside. it in we want to keep it alive yeah absolutely it's an interesting one it's a it's a one that they because they say insufficient attempt to keep the ball alive, yeah, and then that's they call that when there's no one within five, ten meters of the vicinity of where the ball goes out, which is look, I mean, that's what they've been instructed to do, but I think just the balance of yeah, obviously, if we're sturging the ball forward and it, it, it can easily be a skill error, like you know, it comes off the side of the boot when they don't want it to come off the side of the boot, and that that just that's just a part of the game, that's right, but they have and to just have trying to get the balance right. 
the balance and the awareness does need to come. Yeah. But, you know, touching on umpiring, I, I don't know, or oh, you would have seen, and this was at, I think it might have been, was it the halftime sign? Halftime sign. So it was a <laughs> contest about 50. I don't know what we Gorn got completely shoved out of the contest. And yeah. Tom Todd Marshall, he took a mark. Is this correct? Yeah. Then Todd Marshall was about to line up. And then, you know, there's a bit of a goal going off with Butters. And who, I don't know, you have to tell, tell me and remind me. Bowie, wasn't it? Yeah. And Butters absolutely threw, threw Bowie to the ground and got reversed. Yeah. This the one, yeah, yeah oh. absolutely. Give us, it, give us something about that. What do you, what do you, what were your thoughts on when that was happening? <laughs> oh, I loved it. I just screenshotted where Gus has just turned around and given the big thumbs up, and I that that should just uh, that just epitomizes everything of that. And it was just great to see the boys just having a bit of a laugh, letting them know about it, but then also not letting it boil over as well too, because uh, yeah, it would have been disappointing, especially if they'd got that goal on that siren. But the the <laughs> the fact that they didn't even get a chance to have a look at it would have been, yeah, you can imagine Hinkley would have been so dirty at that as well too, certainly with that. But yeah, back to, back to the umpire, I think we do have to, they do have to get a bounce because I really enjoyed and I think it's been really good that they've cracked down on the abuse and all that sort of thing with the players and it's been great to see them just get on along with the game. I think it should be really in, in, in sports worldwide because it's, mm-hmm. as, you know, as you know, as, as players and I've been a referee in the past of, different sports where, yeah, the abuse is, is not warranted. But then you've also seen a difference in judgment where you look at that preseason game where they really, well, what was it, 950 meter penalties that they oh, against got Carlton. That against was, Carlton. Yeah, that was hard to watch. But then you look now and there's still differences between certain umpires and what they're allowing. You're still seeing some players back chat. Like there's, I know there's a difference between back chatting and asking a question and, you know, you can ask a question in a reasonable manner. That's fine. But even players being able to step off the mark, like, and I understand they can't pick up absolutely everything, but there is inconsistencies in that. And that's something that they need to tidy up because you've got the deliberate rule, which is an issue in itself. But then there was just some little mm-hmm. things there that just the inconsistency, they're going like, to piss off fans. It's going to be one of these evolving things that umpires want the respect. But if, and I know that it comes down to a higher power and, on how the rules are then adjudicated and what the direction is from above for the umpires, like for the coaches and how they're interpreting the rules. But they do need to look at that because it's only going to infuriate players and fans even more. And that that respect for umpires that they're really trying to gauge and all hats off to them. They do an incredible job. I'd hate mm. to do it. But they they do need to they do need to fix that, I think. Um, there's certainly some area for improvement there because I had to go off track here, but I actually copped a reversal of free kick against me on the weekend because you do? I, got hit, <laughs> I got hit high and I said to yeah. the umpire, I said, can you please watch the head high hits next time, please? <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I labelled the players. I said, please. So, and then they called a reversal free kick and it was a ball up. Yeah. And I just, I just was just beside myself. I didn't swear. I wasn't, yeah. you know, I wasn't too intense and everything, but... Yeah, I don't know. The umpiring has sort of gone gone a little bit differently. Gone. Um, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if COVID's really impacted. I mean, it probably has. I mean, we have probably lost umpires to the game, and it, yeah, obviously the abuse that does go along with it. And it is good that they are stamping this out, but yeah, yeah, I just think they're getting the balance wrong of misinterpretations of the rules and everything. I think you know we don't want to lose supporters and fans to the game due to the umpiring adjudications and. You know, it's one of those things where, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. I mean, could you do it sort of thing? It's it's no. one of those <laughs> evolving doors. Clear answer. Where, you know, no. I feel like you've got to sort of put yourself in it. Like if, you know, if, for me, playing like a footy on a Saturday, I mean, good to 
go and play or umpire juniors or even just do it on a Saturday just to get a feel for what it's like to get a new appreciation of what it's like. I think, you know, it'd be cool to do, you know, to have like some things go through, but yeah, let's be honest. I mean, it could be early season blues. Let's, let's hope they get it right, you know, in, yeah. for the rest of the season, but let's, um let's tick away. Let's get rid of the, uh, the umpiring and let's go through our hop and underrated player of the year award, mate. We've got two rounds to go through. Do it. You ready to roll now? All right. Yeah, we'll go through there. We'll go one, two, three. We're getting, um, going to so get we'll one. Here we go. Way around. All right. So, so Don's VDs. Um, I've given one vote to Jimmy Harms um, for his 21 touches, two goals. Very solid game, very solid outing, and, you know, kicked some pivotal goals as the game wore on. Next one, uh, two voter to Ed Langdon. Amazing across that wing, 100% game time, 31 disposals. Yes, at times didn't use it great. But to go with that goal of the year, I thought it would be rude not to give him a couple of votes. For three votes, I thought the very underrated performance of his 20-mark game was Gussie Brayshaw with a 34 disposal. Just the uh, the impact of uh, holding possession, I thought, really took it away from Essendon in terms of their type of game style. So I just have to unmute myself so I can try and keep track of uh, what we're doing. Uh, I gave one vote to Cozzy Pickett. I thought that he was, yeah, second in the game for with six tackles. And I thought... His, his pressure, even though he might have seen a little bit quiet around the ball, I thought his pressure was elite in inside 50. Second, uh, two votes goes to Trent Rivers, who I think is probably slipped underrated a little bit since coming back. He had 12 disposals, but 11 of those marks, and always seems to bob up with a really handy intercept mark right at the right time. And then three votes goes to James Harms, who I thought, yeah, hit the scoreboard and just stepped up when we had, yeah, some of those key players that were being either taken out of the game or when somebody needed to step up and kick a goal or win a contest or get back for a defensive possession that he was that man to do so. Going across to Port Adelaide, now I think this bloke deserves a vote purely based on his influence on our defensive structure, and that is Jake Lever for one vote. Lever's influence could only strengthen our side defensively. Two votes, and I'm going to do a split here between Gorn and Jackson. I think what do you just mean? their dominance... What are you making up the rules now? What do you mean a split? Hey, what do you mean? Well, there's two. And I was like, well, both Ruckman had a huge impact impact on the game. And I think the both of them deserve the one vote split. So I've actually given so the one cool. vote. So Lever, one vote. Right, your own halfway. Rules. Yeah, I'm writing my own <laughs> rules. I'm fucking diving in. Um, Gordon Jackson, one each for their dominance around the ground and in the air. And my three voter goes to Jimmy Jordan, one of my favorites. Obviously, we're labeled on it during the last couple of weeks, really shoring up his role. Locked into that wing, having those 27 touches and keeping his shape very nicely. Yeah. Uh, I've got one vote to Jack Viney, who I think has slipped under the radar again this season so far. I think he's he's now to now hit the score, but I think he's probably kicked a goal almost every game this season. Might have to double check, but he's certainly in the last couple of weeks uh, been able to hit hit, uh, hit the scoreboard and also win the seven clearances on a game where Clary and Track weren't... Um, to their usual self, we had some certainly players step up in the middle there to win the ball. I've given two uh, two votes to Cozzy Pickett. Um, I thought his elite pressure again, his continuous efforts in that sequence was amazing. He had the six tackles. He had 29 pressure acts when I thought, yeah, played a really great game there. And then three votes goes to Jaden Hunt, who I think, again, has been playing really well in that back half. I love that effort uh, with Rivers and Jordan to chase down Georgiatis and to really, you know, 
put everything on the line to stop a goal there. And I thought that he's played uh, a really pivotal role um, in our first four games of the season. But yeah, certainly stepped up there. All right, Simo, well, we are the podcast for D's fans, by D's fans, and we wouldn't be here without our loyal supporters. And now it's time to hear their thoughts in our next segment, Fugazi. People only commenting on what they see, um, but internally, it's Fugazi. Can you do with your best uh, Matthew McConaughey impression from the water <laughs> No, I can't, but it's, uh, it's goes something like Fugazi, it's woozy, it's wazi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Well, talking points from our victory against Port Adelaide on Thursday night. Gary Little has chimed in. Great effort for three games in 12 days, two of those interstate. To keep a team to one goal until the 20-minute mark of the third quarter in South Australia is an unbelievable effort, no matter of the latter positions. 100%. I think having a 10-day break rolling into the next game can only benefit our players. Next one comes in from David Panal. I thought the last 10 minutes of the final quarter, we were a little slack with defense, allowed Port to goal too easily. I think just maybe that could just be a, you know, a bit of fatigue and also just, you know, just coasting through the motions. And I think just it's one of those things where, you know, they pick four goals for, for a game. I think, you know, you can't be too, too critical on that. No, no, that's it. Let's just, let's just uh, let's forget about that <laughs> a little bit there. And then our last one here comes from Raylene Ann, who said, Stephen May dominated our defence, supported by the talented and unrelenting Ed Langdon. I think unrelenting, great word choice there. It's uh, certainly something that really, uh, I suppose, epitomises his approach to footy. Uh, the desperation of Neil Bullen, Jordan Brayshaw and Jackson, Petrarca and Oliver were able to shake off their taggers. Yeah, at times, I think. Uh, and, of course, our leader, Maxi Gorn. What an inspiration to his team, desperate to the end. And I think there is. There was a couple of massive moments there for Maxi as well, too. He had a couple of huge captain's tackles, not, you know, not to mention, I think there was a tackle against Rosie and then the tackle against Burton after he'd fumbled the kick, as we've mentioned before. I think, yeah, just really leading by example in, in what was his best game of the season easily. But I think the desperation is a huge thing and it comes from all players that are on the ground and seeing those little defensive efforts that they were able to pull off and make sure that they really wanted to, at any cost, not not allow a score or do just the little things. And you know that those things are going to be celebrated this week in the match review for the D. So thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks for contributing to those. Contributing? Contributing. That's the word. Contributing. Contributing. Can, That's I, the can I chime in here? Chime in because I love seeing the the word or the name Neil Bullen. He's one that's, you know, very similar to Viney in terms of his, I suppose, the impact and not getting as much um, recognition as, you know, your Clarys, your tracks. These Except two, on this podcast. We give, recognition. we give him a little bit. But look, I, I think Neil Bullen is both for you and I, I think, especially in the last two rounds, he's, he's one player that we haven't labelled on enough. And he's, he's, I think his leadership has just gone to another level because now he's a part of the leadership group. And I think just his impact on the ground to set up, especially a midfield forward and that connection, that build connection through there, I think that's something that's very strong in his now game. Um, being, you know, 26. We, do you know what? It's crazy about Neil Bourne. He was picked about 50, I think, in the draft. So to get him at around, you know, the 40, 50 mark, it's someone that he, he was that player on the outer, but then you look at the last couple of years, his his shift in his game and also leadership, yeah, you know, it's almost second to none. He's up there with you know the levers and you know you obviously Barney Gorney, um, Stephen May. You know he's definitely in that category of you know impact on our team to both set up offensively and defensively. He definitely has, and it's been I suppose you think about how just everything seemed to click right for the days in twenty twenty one. It's um, I think he. 
he is certainly uh, almost the metaphor for that because he's a player that where mm. everything just sort of seemed to sort of click in and fit around at the right time because his work ethic is, you know, 100 to none. Like, it's, he's one, one of those blokes that's always gone out, won the time trials. I mean, he equaled Eddie Langdon this week in um, in coverage of the game. So he had also 15Ks run for the... For, for for Thursday night as well too on the ground and you know even like I had an opportunity to speak to his mum a couple of weeks ago and she's just so proud of, of how he's become because it's been he's certainly had to uh, deal with some adversity you know like it, probably you know thrown up for trade at some point and and sort of probably would have questioned his own role on the side but he's really sort of taken that on board and I think probably used that as a bit of fire in the belly to be able to improve mm-hmm. his game and, and you just mentioned there about how much now he's an integral part to that midfield and and as a leader as well this football club being around the system for a long time and I think yeah one of those players that I think when with the premiership medal around him I think there's some great photos and you can just tell in the way that he um, that he acts and just the way that he carries himself about how much he loves this club and yeah a really truly remarkable story as well too for the for the footy club um, for somebody that yeah has really done it probably the hard way. Uh, we're, we're pleased with where we sit. We understand there's going to be some hype around how we're playing, but we also want to just take it, you know, one week at a time. And, and coaches say that a lot, and, and people, and it's just the reality. You can't look too far ahead. Well, mate, my next, the next segment is my favourite segment, and we're going to cover that with one week at a time. <laughs> give it a bit of gusto, I mate. Have... Give us, give us a bit more enthusiasm, will you? Mate, I reckon I need to redo that. Right, mate. One week at a time, my favourite segment. We are coming up against the Giants this Saturday night at the G. Look, let's be fair, Saturday night, it's Easter weekend. Let's get there. Let's get there. Let's make giant make the Giants really second-guess themselves. I think another one where we've got kind of like a prime time, you know, Saturday night, obviously, you know, it's going to be heavily in our, our favour, obviously, with the Giants coming across and, you know, having their smaller fan base. But I think, you know, the Giants have been a team where – I wouldn't say we've struggled against, but we've struggled against a particular player, and that particular player is not playing, which makes me feel a lot better. Obviously, Toby Green, um, I think, set to due back, uh, set to come back round six um, from his suspension. So, um, one of those games where, you know, again, just trying to get the four points. I think the Giants are sort. Of, I think they're sitting at one and three. They're sort of petering around the bush a little bit. Oh, I might be two and two. I need to double check. You know, the Giants are sort of. Yeah, one and three. One and three. They're, they're not sort of hitting their straps. They're kind of like tinkering around the outside. I think we just, you know, really need to nullify. I think there's a star coming on, and that's Tom Green. Tom Green's yeah. a one to sort of watch out for. Jake Kelly's been another – Jake Kelly. Josh Kelly's been one to really – you know, he's another one. You look with Toby Green, but Josh Kelly's one probably averaging around the mid-30s against us, and he just gets off the chain. So being able to nullify his impact as well. Jesse Hogan, the coming back to the G, which would be you know, a bit of a homecoming. Hopefully he doesn't do much against us, which would be good. <laughs> I thought we were ready to go against Braden Proust too, but the Braden Proust like Cup. That's not the Braden Proust Cup. Own. <laughs> well, the, with Braden Proust um, copping a week, I'm not 100 percent sure if they're just uh, they're they're challenging contesting it. the one week yeah. or challenging it. So, well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do challenge that because obviously you would love to go toe-to-toe against Gorney and yeah, he's done something a bit silly, but, you know, it's a just game emulating, where... emulating Shane Mumford, mate. He's just taking over when oh, he's just out there sausage, to sausage, crash yeah. bodies and... <laughs> crash bodies, get yeah, reported. We loved him. We loved him at the Ds. It was great. Prusy he's a bit of a cult he... figure. Yeah, bit, yeah, he reminded me of... Um, I remember, like, Nathan Carroll, Chopper Reed, and then also Lyndon Dunn, you know, that... 
Yeah. You know, just just a real slugger, just just loves just cracking <laughs> in, just you know, it wasn't the greatest, you know, skill wise, but yeah, yeah just going to crack. But anyway, GWS, I think, you know, we get the job done. I think, you know, obviously with our home crowd, I think it'd be really cool to really stamp our authority on this game. I think, you know, not just, you know, just going through the motions, winning by, you know, three or four goals. I think we really need to stamp our authority on this competition and just say, look, this is who Melbourne are and this is what Melbourne are going to do. And I think, you know, by winning this game by 40 or 50 plus would be something that would really, really appreciate our fans. I think it's something that, I think it would be really good to actually string four quarters. I don't know or don't really believe we've done a dominant four-quarter performance this year. We've kind of sort of tinkered around, you know. I mean, we've been solid, but we've also, you know, we haven't really blitzed aside. So I think it'd be really awesome to see that on Saturday night. Changes, I believe uh, Ben Brown for Wiedemann could be the one. Um, probably the only thing I can really see, I've seen that Bedford's been the stub uh, for four weeks in a row now. So, you know, does a player like Luke Dunson get an opportunity as a sub? Because uh, I can't really see anyone else around the ground going out. Uh, you know, Hunt's one that's keeping his spot because Hibbert and Sailor are out. But, you know, you're yeah. labelled so high, highly on Hunt and, you know, being able to be that shutdown defender, something that we've needed. So, yeah, it's it's one that yeah I don't think there'll be too many changes. You know, bearing Wiedemann and Brown's probably the only thing that I can really see coming and so. potentially yeah. a new medical sub. Yeah, and I think hopefully our forward line should be looking to capitalise. Like they've got no Phil Davis as well too down back, who's you know they're stalled down there at at full back, and I think that they're certainly a team that's been yeah got a few outs. Certainly not off to a great start, you know, losing by what, nearly six goals to Freo, who Freo, surprising, you know, playing pretty good footy at the moment over in Perth. But I think there's still a few players you have to be aware of. And I think you, you mentioned Tom Green there earlier. I think he's a really exciting Star. pick. Next and, uh, and, I mean, Dee's bitted on him in that draft. So you can see there's, um, you know, widely respected young player there who's in his third season as having a breakout year so far. I think you just have to be wary of their forward line. I think Hogan... Yeah, like it's great to see him up and again playing. Just keep an eye out for Hogan and Himmelberg, who who has his has his moments and certainly can bob up mm-hmm. and kick a few goals as well too. So I know our defence will be certainly uh, looking to nullify those. I think Cogs has sort of played uh, up and down a little bit early this season. We know that his well-documented struggles last year, being in and out of the side and all those sorts of things, but he's played some pretty inspired footy the first couple of games so to make sure there and you know you've got also Callum Waters moved into the middle as, as well as a bit of a bigger body inside there so I don't think I think you're right I don't think we'll have an issue with that I think playing at the G as well too we know well you think back to that grand final where they didn't show up there I don't think they play the G very well so hopefully we should be on top of them there but it'd be nice to as you mentioned get yeah really really get on top of them early and just hopefully just put them to the sword. And I think, I don't know, what about you? But I think Matty DeBoer probably goes to Petrarca, I think, given the last few weeks. I would say that he'd stay in the side and, and be looked to be deployed uh, as a as a target for Petrarca or Oliver, whoever's uh, whoever's out. This is a, this is an interesting conundrum. I think, yeah, that does happen. I think, well, DeBoer, you know, obviously has been labelled as a tagger in the past and, you know, he has... Has gone to Clarion Oliver at some stage, but also I think um, we'll do yes. a player, Lockie, Lockie Ash. I think he plays on a wing, um, kind of went half forward wing. He could potentially go to Langdon as well. So Langdon could get nullified as well on that far wing, uh, potentially. Uh, I think, you know, if Bruce is out, I think we jump all over, you know, your Matt Flynn or your Kieran Briggs. I think 
we really will get a lot of ascendancy in that part of the ground and hopefully it's nice and dry for Gorney to just, yeah, showcase another huge performance and yeah. for Dogger to continue his rapid growth. I think yeah. it's pretty crazy to think that, you know, Dogger's only 21 and, you know, the, sky, the sky's the limit with him and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that tall forward line. You know, what happens? Does Wade go out? Does Brown come in? It's, you know, another one of those things where we'll play by ear as supporters. We'll back the selection committee and see what's, what transpires. It'll be cool to see Fritter come again. You know, he's kicked, I think, uh, or maybe nine goal, nine, ten goals for the season so far without doing too much. I don't think he's hit over ten touches in a game. So he's sort of just – he's kind of going through the motions and he's one that obviously, you know, he bobs up from time to time. But let's, let's hope that he continues to fire and, you know, hopefully we see some – big performances from our team and yeah to sit back and enjoy the show and yeah make some noise yeah so he's kicked eight goals so far this year Frida and uh, as you said from not many touches but that's right he's doing his job which is good but now I'd say D's by 36 uh, comfortable win uh, on Saturday night and hopefully with a fair few D's fans out there but now looking forward to that one Right, Simo. Well, that wraps it up. Big episode, big double episode. Cover two games, and yeah, great to be back. And looking forward to yeah Saturday night, which would be awesome. Hopefully, be talking five and zero next week after yeah after our Easter Saturday victory. But thanks so much, mate. Great to great to be chatting footy, and uh, everyone feeling fit and healthy at the moment. Big thanks to our sponsors and Hop Hen Brewing. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google. And feel free to leave us a review or feedback. And we're on Twitter at awtn 2 detail with a double E. On Facebook or Instagram, you can shoot us an email at attentiontodetailpod at gmail.com. You're heading into the game Saturday night. Obviously, we'll be, be there in the, the stands. Game. Yep. Yeah. Might be joining it. Fingers crossed. I've got to check whether, yeah, whether I'm away for Easter or not. But it'd be, yeah, great to get there. Otherwise, at Oslo, even casting our eyes further ahead, very much looking forward to the Anzac Day Anzac Eve, Eve game, which is yeah, bracing for a yeah big contest with Richmond looking not too bad at the moment. Playing some, you know, doing everything, well, let's say doing a few things right and getting some wins on the board. So, yeah, big couple of weeks of footy coming up for the Ds. All right, mate. Thanks heaps. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Go Ds. Go the Ds.